Hello, I'm Will, and this is my wife, Dallas. Hi. And this is Not the Beginning, a podcast where a longtime Wheel of Time fan and a Wheel of Time newbie watch and discuss Amazon's The Wheel of Time. In this special season of Not the Beginning, we'll be discussing season one of the Amazon Prime series, The Wheel of Time. Note, at the time of recording, I have finished reading through The Great Hunt, but have not read further. If you have not read Robert Jordan's The Eye of the World and The Great Hunt, please proceed with caution. Warning, this podcast probably won't be suitable for younger audiences, and will definitely contain spoilers. On this episode of Not the Beginning, we will be diving in and discussing episodes 1 through 3 of the first season of The Wheel of Time, Leave Taking, Shadows Waiting, and A Place of Safety. If you have not seen through The Wheel of Time episode 3, please proceed with caution. It's finally here. It is. I have been waiting for this for so long. I I know. So long. (laughs) And I have seen three episodes of The Wheel of Time. How are you feeling? Mixed. Okay. I like it. There are a few things I need and a few things I recognize that I just want but aren't super realistic for a TV show. Yeah. Um, it starts off a little rocky. I think episode one is probably going to end up being the worst episode of the whole series. The episode one of an epic fantasy adaptation series usually is... Right. It's not... I think the the pilot of Game of Thrones was better, but I think the follow-on episodes... Like, if you take the first three episodes of Game of Thrones, which is the inevitable comparison, even though it's not the same thing. Even though we talk about Game of Thrones a lot on this podcast. Yeah. It's not the same thing. But if you took the first three episodes of Game of Thrones and the first three episodes of Wheel of Time, the Wheel of Time would win. I think the first three episodes are more solid. Yeah, because the first three episodes of Game of Thrones have the same slow pacing. Right. Because, like, the main criticism that I've seen The Wheel of Time having is that the first episode's just really slow and sloggy. Oh, see, I've seen the opposite, that it's crazy fast. I think the first episode could have been 20 to 30 minutes longer, and it would have been far better. Mm -hmm. My main complaint with episode one is that, one, the, the, like, cold open sucks. I understand why they did it. I disagree. I I did not like the voiceover with Moraine, and I didn't like the Reds hunting down a man who could channel as the opening. I, it should have started with the scene that they do right after the, the like title page. It's really just the title page. Because they don't go through the whole sequence until right. episode two. Right. The, the one that they do that with the women walking to like Egwene's ceremony would have been a much better introduction to the series. I can see your point, but I kind of disagree just as... I am so new to this series that if I hadn't read the books yet, if I had just started with the women's circle thing, I would have been very confused as to what this show is about. You want the first scene of anything to hook you. That it's called the hook for a reason. It's supposed to hook the audience. I think Egwene getting yeeted into a river is a hook. But that's not the point of the series. You've got to hook them for the series. And the point is the Dragon Reborn. So, like, I understand why the voiceover exists. But one thing I do think is I think that the voiceover and that scene... At the very least, they should have cut out that scene of Leandrin and the Reds chasing down. I agree with that. That was bad. That, I didn't need that. One, because, like, and I know this is a dumb critique, but, like, he was running past forests <laughs> on the road. I mean, he's insane, but still. I said it was they, a dumb criticism, but, they, like... They should have cut that out. The voiceover still wouldn't have been great. 
But if they had gone from that and then Egwene getting yeeted off a cliff? Yeah. And that kind of ties into my one of my problems with all of episode one is that it feels like every time Moraine shows up, they're reintroducing you to Moraine. She's like slowly fading into focus or she's just standing there mysteriously, which is Moraine. But every time it felt like, okay, well, this could have been a trailer. 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 And it's like, just just let her do stuff. She doesn't need to be dramatically fading into focus every time she's on screen here. That's fair. The whole thing generally smelled of very, very heavy studio involvement. Yeah. And that's not to say I think it was bad. I just thought it was a little clunky and could have used a little bit more of... I'll say Rafe Judkins, the showrunner, could have used a little bit more of his original vision. I I think I agree with you there a little bit, especially because of one of my main criticisms in episode one, which I'm not sure we'll see when we get to it in uh-huh. our big discussion. But parts of it don't necessarily seem like they were done with love for the characters. Yeah. The ad- like part of it and it just doesn't seem like it was done with love and care. Mm-hmm. Especially Perrin. That's Perrin's very complicated, and uh, we're we're talking about it now, so we'll just talk about it. One of the big big changes to the series is that Perrin starts out with a wife, Layla, who he kills during the events of Winter Night, sort of mistakenly. I don't like that he killed his wife. I don't think they should have fringed a character in the first episode. They probably shouldn't ever do that because it's just not good. But had they done it to somebody else? Like, the only problem I have with that, like, or the only big problem I have with that is how they executed it, not what they did. Yes, that's my pro- That's mostly my problem with it. And I think it's just the reason that I have a problem with him killing his own wife. Like, if he had killed anyone else on accident. The suggestion I've seen is that he should have killed Harl Lujan, his blacksmith master. That? That would have been great. That would have done exactly the same thing. It's just you create. you literally created a character that did not exist with the sole purpose of having her husband murder her right. to cause him trauma. It's trauma porn. Yeah, I, I think that there are things that they could do to make it better after the fact. If she turns out to be, as a theory exists, and one I actually kind of subscribe to, if she turns out to be a dark friend, I think that makes it a lot better. It, it does redeem it, and I didn't necessarily agree with that. Until you rewatched it. Until I rewatched it. And he's swinging a hammer at the Trolloc that he's wolfing out on, but the Trolloc's dead, and he's the only one in the way of the hammer. Yeah, when he turns and accidentally, like, because he just hears something behind him, and he thinks, oh my god, there's a Trolloc behind me, and he's already wolfing out, as you said, on this Trolloc overkill, but, like, he's wolfing out. Right. And he accidentally hits her with the axe. She has her axe raised above her head. It's a hammer. It's a hammer? Very important. Okay. It's a hammer. Because this is the start of Perrin's whole hammer or axe thing. Ah, okay. Literally the only thing that is different about him killing a wife versus Harald Lujan is that it's a wife. Yeah. Because all of the same stuff still exists. But she does have her hammer raised as if she's about to strike. She's mid-swing. She's mid-swing. And she's swinging... Perrin's at, like, over the Trolloc. Right. It's not, like, so... There really wasn't a way she could have brought that down and not hit Perrin. Yeah, and that did seem a little sketchy on the rewatch. Later, the wolf is eating her, and the books go to a lot of lengths to establish that 
for everyone, but for Perrin especially, wolves mean good. And in the book, we do see the wolves in his dreams trying to attack Balsamon. Right. And so why would a wolf be eating his wife? Right. If she's a dark friend. (laughs) Now, one... That is a shame because I do cut... If she does turn out to be a dark friend, that'll be two characters that... Two female characters that they made me attached to and then turned into dark friends. Because there's Layla, who the first image of her we get is her blacksmithing by herself. I know. Now, that's a small... That's another small problem I have is that I like that she's a blacksmith and I love that she was like... She was kind of brooding, which is very parent. Uh, she's brooding and blacksmithing on her own to like seemingly, I guess, work out some of her aggression. I like that. I also would have liked to see Perrin do it. There are a lot of things that they did that I like that they did them, but they needed to do it with more than one character. I don't. I didn't necessarily need to see Perrin blacksmithing. It's his, it's a, like half of his identity is that he's a blacksmith, and we have yet to see him work iron. That's fair. He's a fucking blacksmith. That is fair. But yeah, like, we, the first introduction of her we get is, like, her blacksmithing and being generally badass and yeah. having fantastic arms. And she's got, like, all those piercings, like, all the way up her ear. It's great. I wanted more Layla. And then, clearly her and Perrin were having some sort of relationship problem. Yeah. Because, like, she's blacksmithing by herself while literally the entire town is separate, celebrating Beltine. Yeah. And then he comes in to see see her and like very adamantly tells her that he loves her and then she's like i know yeah but not in a han solo way no and like a yeah i know i'm not saying it back yeah not like a cocky i'm not saying it back because like i'll see you again later it's like a i'm not necessarily feeling like i want to say it to you yeah like yeah it's just an I don't... Why? Overall, I do not like it. Yeah. I I think that there are things that they could do to make it better. They could have used an already existing character. Right. There are things that they could do to make it better, but I don't think it's ever going to be great. Because I do think it's going to be some sort of shorthand. It definitely is. To more quickly get him to be... So much of Perrin's journey is, like, internal and cerebral. And that doesn't work for a TV show, because you have to be able to show it. And especially since they cut out Elias before the Tinkers. Right. We might see Elias at some point. I don't think we... I think at least we have to wait until season two. It might be longer. It might be never. We might never see Elias, which would be a shame. I also don't know that I ever see Elias again in the books. I'm up, like... Yeah. It could be that they moved him later. We probably see him again. I feel like they put too much focus on his backstory and continue to bring him up for him not to show up again. Kind of like Bill Domon. Like, (laughs) like, (laughs) why did he matter? Who I also don't think we're seeing. I'm okay with that. He he do be not present (laughs) in the show. Yeah. The other one, so I was talking about things that I liked that they made one character do, but I needed to see another character do it. The cold open for episode three, where we learn how Nynaeve survives Winter Night. She kills a Trolloc. I I love that Nynaeve, one, snuck up and killed a Trolloc on her own. And she kept the sword, which was a nice touch. Yeah. She's fucking ferocious. During the events of Winter Night, a Trolloc, like, rounds a corner and screams at them, and she screams back, and I love it. I love Nynaeve. I already, I love book Nynaeve. I also love show Nynaeve. I totally understand Lan. Yeah. Like. The only thing. I kind of, I'm kind of in love with Nynaeve, too. I love that she killed the Trolloc. 
I needed Tam to kill a Trolloc too. I did too. I he, think there going to be two Trollocs at the at the right. farm. He cuts he cuts one up and he hurts it a lot. And Rand ultimately kills it. And I don't think Rand would have been able to kill it without Tam. But Tam's a blade master. Yeah, I did at least like that we got to actually see Rand watching his father cut the shit out of this Trolloc. Because right. in the book, he jumps out a window and then comes back. He's like, to how find, did my dad do this? Like, had to find a dead Trolloc, and then another one comes up and he kills that one. Right. So there could have been two Trollocs. Like, Tam could have yeah. easily just killed one right off the bat and then been fighting the second one and then got injured and then right. Rand killed that one. I would have liked in the books also for Rand and Tam to work together to kill the Trollocs. That would have been yeah. a good thing in the books, too. So, like... like I, I liked that he did that one, but I think that that scene would have been not much longer and better if there were two of them. Tam dispatches the one quickly. Yeah. And then the other one just overpowers him because he's old and out of practice. Right. And worried about his son. Right. Because, like, Rand gets thrown into a fireplace hard, yeah. which, like, any normal person, that Trollocs would probably just break business. your back. They did, a, they did a surprisingly good job on something very hard to do, which is the Trollocs. They did. They, the Trollocs look better in slow in slow shots. You can tell that they are CGI enhanced. But they're, if you watch the an interview with Rafe, Rafe he, Jenkins, Rafe, he talks about how the Trollocs are a mix of prosthetics and costuming and yeah. CGI. And they did that so that when they were CGI'd, you couldn't really tell where the actor stops and the CGI begins. Yeah. And I do think and that that... When you have the time to look at the Trolloc, it shows that they did a really, really good job of them. When they're running in the daytime, they, they looked, looked a little wonky. They looked like rubbery. Yeah. And Especially when they were running across the water. Yeah. But... But at night, they looked great. Yeah, they, they looked fine. The, like, when they're moving quickly, I think, is when it breaks a little bit for me. Yeah. When they're close up, they look fantastic. Yeah. And I really, really like that they have some of them that, one, they look as varied as they should. They, they do look, look very varied. They look a little less human than I think they do in the books. Because they're supposed to be just, like, big humans with, like beastly features. Oh, I just saw them as entirely beast in the picture in my head. They are. Some of them are. Some of them aren't. There's a spectrum because, like, on the one spectrum you have Murdral, and on the other spectrum you have Total Beast. Hmm. All of these look very, very bestial. But it works for the show because... But so does the Murdral. Right. The Murdral, they do a really good job of the Murdral. I don't... Really good job of the Murdral. necessarily like that they don't have eyes, but... They don't have eyes. But they they don't have eye sockets. Yeah, I, I did, I, I well, I didn't picture them with it as anything because I can't picture things, but I did kind of imagine them with, eye, like, just, like, empty <clears throat> eye sockets. Yeah, that's what I did, too. And, like, a, a nose. Voldemort is fine. Yeah, they're Fish kind of, Voldemort. They're kind of, they do kind of look like Voldemort, except there's not, like... The, the lips are weird. <laughs> there's no nostril holes. There's no nostril It's literally holes. just a mouth and then smooth yeah, to the skull. Like, like, weirdly plump lips. They gotta, they've got all those teeth. They gotta yeah. have lips to close over the teeth. It's just weird. It's unsettling, which is what a Murdral should be. Their screams are fantastic. Yeah. Good old Dan. And I do like Dan. <laughs> Dan the Murdral. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, back on Trollocs. Like, I loved that they had, like, a, a really good variety in what they could do. And that some of them ran like animals. Yeah. Like, it was great. It made them feel like this, like, monstrous, disorganized, just kind of, like, rushing flood force. It was scary. Yeah, it was good. Winter Night itself, in episode one, was pretty solid. 
Like I said, the, the two main problems I had were Perrin killing his wife and Tam not going to town. Yeah. I I will say one thing I think we might get in a flashback is I think we might get a flashback of Rand's trek back to town, which we also missed during Winter Night. I would have liked to see that. I think we might get it in a flashback because I think if they showed that and Tam's fever dream, it would be really obvious that Rand is the dragon. Because... Earlier in the episode, Moraine goes to Nynaeve and makes a big deal about confirming that Nynaeve was not from the Two Rivers. Yes. Which actually isn't a change. She's not from the Two Rivers. She's from a little a little more out, like relatively close by. She's a wisdom. They move. They move. Uh, the change there is that her like wisdom mentor, one, adopted her, and two, was a White Tower reject, which there's some stuff to unpack there. Just because she could listen to the wind doesn't mean she could channel. It doesn't mean that she wasn't old enough to be, or, you know, she wasn't too old to be able to channel. And it doesn't mean that she was strong enough for the Aes Sedai to train her. Except that when Moraine is talking to Egwene in episode two about, like, what do you call, what do you call it? Listening to the wind. And she's like, listening to the wind. And she's like, women all over have different names for it. It's all the same thing. She says that listening to the wind is channeling. Yeah, but... Wisdoms don't know that, and so if but you a wisdom, said that if just because she could listen to the wind doesn't mean she could channel. Just because she says she could listen to the wind, or people claim or think she can listen to the wind, they don't know Nynaeve can channel. Nynaeve doesn't know Nynaeve can channel. Nynaeve can actually listen to the wind. Right, and so it could just be that her wisdom mentor was mistaken. Because I really, really doubt that they're actually having the Aes Sedai in this iteration turn away women who can channel just because of how they look and how they sound. They're the Aes Sedai. I they, did like the introduction that. of that because it does kind of provide a reason for Nynaeve to not like Maureen from the get-go. Yeah. Again, that was another thing that, like, I'm okay, I'm okay with it. It wasn't very well done because it was just kind of like Moraine fades into view <laughs> and it's like, hi, you should hate me. And then the scene ends. Yeah. Like, I, did, like I, she, I did she like cuts that. Out, I liked that scene. I don't... She cuts out Nynaeve basically as being in consideration for Dragon Reborn, which, we didn't... big change. We haven't, we haven't talked about that. Big change, the dragon can be anyone. Yes. Not a huge departure from the books, necessarily, in that they are kind of combining the dragon with... The the dragon can also be called the adversary. The adversary of the Dark One. There is a a female equivalent of the dragon in the books. So they're kind of combining the dragon and Amarisu, which is the name of the the female adversary. They're kind of combining. I guess spoilers, but like... No. Um, Yeah, I did like that. So they... when And in the introduction, after... Like, Moraine says something about there's five... There's four Tavirin. Or No, there's, she says there's five of them. The in She says there's four Tavirin, but I feel like she mentions five people who could be the dragon inside the two rivers. And she eliminates Nynaeve. Yeah. And so then it's just four. I think she just... she. I don't think she ever mentions five. Was it one of the trailers that said five yeah. then? Okay. One of the trailers, the line is the five of you. Why did they film that twice? I don't know. That was a mistake. They shouldn't have. They shouldn't have done that. One ninety. I, I. I will. I will gladly, emphatically give that Egwene should be in contention. Egwene's fucking Tavirin, and she is Tavirin here, which is a change. She's Tavirin in the books. She's just not called Tavirin. Yeah. Nynaeve, Nynaeve doesn't deserve that. 
Nynaeve deserves better. Although. She does have main character syndrome in the show where a trollic drags her. Like. For like. A while. A mile by her hair. So in. In the be- like in Winter Night, mostly the Trollocs are not even bothering to actually kill the villagers before just eating them. I think they they're killing and just moving on. I didn't see too many like hunched over like om nom nom. Matt trips over like three of them. Oh yeah, that's true. They're just eating people, mm-hmm. and so this Trolloc just like grabs Ninety by the hair and drags her and off. and drags her off. And then drags her through the woods for a little stroll. Yeah. And then drops her, sees another Trolloc that's injured. And on the first watch, he seemed concerned for half a second. I was like, aw, Trolloc friends. Nope. <laughs> nope, he starts eating it. He starts eating his Trolloc friend. A nice touch. They do that. Uh, fun fact about that scene, when she gets up and starts running, uh, one I think one of the times that they filmed it, she outran the camera cart, Zoe Robbins. <laughs> nice. Which makes me love her even more. Also, we're going to take a moment here. That's some big naive energy. It is. We're going to take a moment here to acknowledge the glory of the braid. It is such a good braid. Oh, my God. It is such a good braid. It's glorious. It's so much bigger than everyone else's. It's like Nynaeve's in charge and she's got the braid to show it. The only person whose braid I liked as much was Layla's because she's got like a Viking braid going on. Yeah. Because she had like shaved sides of her head. Why did they develop her character so much just to kill her? They have to bring her up again. She looked so like... Like why did they keep talking about Layla? Anyway, (laughs) Nynaeve's braid. But yeah, like... Why would a Trolloc just drag a random woman through the woods? She's the main character. She's not Taviran. It was main character syndrome, though, so I'm wondering, like, maybe the four Taviran needed a Nynaeve, so it extended to her somehow. Yeah, totally believable. Rand pulls that shit in the eye of the world, too. Like, he brings people who he needs around him. Oh, now I'm thinking of, like, the five of them. Dana says it. Yeah. So it is suspected that one of the five of them is the dragon, the, at least by the dark at the least dark, by the dark friends. Yeah. Which is fine. I'm fine with that being wrong. Moraine could be wrong. Moraine and the prophecies could be wrong. Because it's a theme of the Wheel of Time is shit changes over time. Yeah. And so who knows how much the prophecies have changed from when they were given to when they are looking for them. I do need them to reunite soon and like... I think it'll be another episode. Because there is something else that's been bothering me and I figured out on the rewatch that she didn't say the line that I thought she said. But when she talks about the four Taviran in the two rivers and then she goes to to Nynaeve Mm -hmm. and tries to establish... Because she heard a rumor that Nynaeve was not from there, so she had to confirm what it was. And then later they get back, and Lan asks, do you know which one it is? And she still doesn't know. It implies that she thinks Rand, Egwene, Matt, and Perrin are not from the Two Rivers. Or that she doesn't know. And I I think she doesn't know. Honestly, though, it wouldn't have been that hard for her to go and ask the innkeeper where she's staying. Like, where was your daughter born? Right. And then, or ask, like... About Perrin, like how long has Perrin been a blacksmith? And then people, it's a small town, they would have been like, I remember when Perrin was born. I remember when Matt was born. Ah, Gwen was born on that table over there in the inn (laughs) because her mom wouldn't leave. Like, those are stories that would have gotten told. And then, but it would make it very obvious that Rand is the dragon. Right. It is kind of already obvious, though. I mean, they have the... Tom talks about the Aiel. And then they all... Tom also sings a very pointed song about... About Luce Theron. Theron. 
which is great. And um, yeah, you know, that, it's it's loose Theron. It's very pointed too. It's like I the second wonder... ra- How Taviran is that that the second Rand shows up? Very well. He and Matt are both there. <laughs> that Tom decides to sing a song about loose Theron. And then, you know, Matt has the dagger, and so he's going to steal shit, and yeah. he goes to try to rob a dead Aiel in a cage, and Tom's there to bury the Aiel. And have... they point out the hair, and then they do a very zoom in on the hair. And they shift and, to Rand. And then they shift to Rand, who's locked in a room with a dark friend, and then Break breaks down. down a door that he's not supposed to be able to break down. Look, Rand's just strong, okay? It would take... She said it would take three, three fully grown men, <laughs> implying that Rand is not fully grown. <laughs> Obviously, she underestimates the men of the two rivers. To be fair, everybody underestimates the men from the two rivers. Perrin could break that door down, no problem. Perrin's worth three men. Perrin also has wolf powers. That doesn't make him stronger. just makes him more wolfy. Uh, it, would, it would take Perrin a lot longer to try to break that door yeah. down, though. So, speaking of the dagger, you brought up the dagger. Shadow Logoth happens in, like, a blink. It's Which I very don't cool. mind. I, I don't mind, sort of. There are elements of Shadow Logoth that are incredibly important later. I mean, we do get land story time. We do get land, and they changed they changed the backstory of Shadow Logoth a little bit, in a good way. I like that it was Shadow Logoth that denied Minetherin help. That's good, and it's very, it, it, it gels with the setting very well. What I didn't like about Shadow Logoth is that there were no shadow spawn in there, and Patton Fane has to have the dagger at some point. Patton Fane doesn't get the dagger in Shadow Logoth. No, but he gets obsessed with the dagger in Shadow Logoth. No! He runs into Mordeth, which is where the whole thing starts to happen. But he doesn't ever see the dagger. No. Matt just randomly picks up the dagger in a trophy room. That's that's how he true. gets it. He doesn't that's get true. the dagger from Mordeth. That's the whole point. That's why he doesn't tell Moraine immediately, right. because she said, don't take anything from anyone. And she actually tells him about Mordeth and then... Right. Okay, that's that's true. But, so he just... I do wonder, like, how Patton are Fane they going to... Patton steals the dagger because he just steals the dagger. Yeah. And then it corrupts him. Right. But Mordeth is, an also, is also an important part of that. Mordeth and Patton Fane were implicated in the Shadow Logoth scene, which I do enjoy. There was there were whispering voices and whistling. The whistling is very is That's it sounds like Patton Fane. Right, it's how they introduced Patton Fane. Is he's whistling when he comes into the two rivers. He, I'm just curious how they're going to get to that point with what they've shown so far. I don't remember how Patton Fane steals the dagger either. With the horn. Why did why did Matt not have his dagger on him? He did. He took it off of Matt. Oh, I don't remember this at all. I mean, it's partially because Mordeth wanted the dagger. And he was kind of corrupted with Mordeth. Right. It makes me wonder what Patton Fane took from Mordeth to let Mordeth out. Because I feel like he's partially Mordeth. He's like a combination of Mordeth and Patton Fane. Yeah, it's weird. It's bad. It's it's bad. We do get some Patton Fane creepiness in episode one, too, which I kind of like that they're just accelerating him being creepy. Yeah. He When the Trollocs attack, he's just whistling in the background and he just leaves. Yeah, he just kind of smiles watching the Trollocs eat a bunch of people and then right. packs up his cart and goes. Oh, you know what? That might have just answered a question. So one one question I had with the intro was, how the fuck are there rumors of Tavirin coming out of the two rivers where no one's ever been? Probably Pat and Vane. And that's probably how Dana knows about Egwene. And she's been, No, she's been seeing dreams of them. Oh, that's true. She said Patton Fane's a seeing, better explanation. But she's her being able to see dreams of Egwene explains how her costuming changed, which I didn't notice it for, on the first yeah. watch. Because 
She so Dana is the innkeeper at this town that Matt and the inn Rand is, is the Four Kings, which is a nod to the books because because oh. that's basically episode three has a condensation of Matt and Rand traveling throughout, getting encou- encountering dark friends, and the Four Kings is the one where they encounter it the worst. That's the inn in Breen's Spring. Anyway, Dana is the innkeeper, and you know they work for Dana for coin because you know they don't have any money and they don't have any stuff stole their money well tom stole matt's money because matt was kind of being a dick because he has the dagger and rand's just like let's go see if you know we can get a room for cheap or work for it rand's just being like let's see if we can work for our money or for our room Mm -hmm. and so you know rand chops like a shit ton of wood and dana is in the when they when we first meet her she's wearing like this red vest and she has her hair up in like a bun but later when she's showing Rand the room where she's going to be giving Matt and Rand room to stay, also thinks that Matt and Rand are a couple and <laughs> tells him that no one can hear anything that happens in this room. So if you need a slap and tickle to get over your marital problems, <laughs> no one will be able to hear. And Rand responds with, if I, if I wanted a man, I could do better than Matt. <laughs> yeah, he's not like offended that she thinks that he could be with a man. He just thinks it's funny that she thinks he could be with Matt. Does this Rand have bi energy? Matt definitely does. Oh, yeah. Matt does, does ma- from Matt does from line one. Just the way he like starts rolling dice, he just has like very good bi energy. Yeah. I mean... Does this does this Rand have bi energy? He might. He at least has very secure in his masculinity energy. That's true. Because he's just like... I know Matt and I aren't together. And she's like, I wouldn't have a... She's like, I don't have a problem with what men do in the dark. He's like, no, if I wanted a man, I could do better than that. Yeah. And then they flirt. But on the second watch, I realized that she's changed. Right. And because she pointed out, like, you know, she tries to make a move on Rand. And Rand's like, no. And she's like, oh, I came on too strong. I shouldn't have braided my hair. I look too much like her. And then she talks about Egwene. Her costuming has changed, too. She's wearing a blouse very similar to Egwene's, except Egwene's. She has buttoned up, yeah. and her Dana's is open to reveal the tits. She's wearing a skirt that has very similar pattern. She's got her hair braided, very yeah. similar to Egwene's. She had to have seen... She wouldn't have changed her clothes if she hadn't seen Egwene. That's true. Well, like, she could also just know what two rivers people dress like. Like, the pattern on the skirt is the same. That's, true. That's too much of a, like costuming department wanted to do some yeah. cool stuff but she also like you had to have seen the vision yeah definitely i was and then she turns out to be a dark friend that's the second like she's the first character that i like i'm like oh i really like her yeah dark friend she gets knifed in the throat by tom so if layla also gets that, that turned into a dark friend suspicious of every new character <laughs> i'm now gonna be like what does that say that i have to be suspicious of every new female i don't want to be suspicious of every new female on the show it's fair like make some make Slight... some man that they introduce themselves to yes, a dark friend <laughs> give us spider uh, no, slight... not a, ca- a character that doesn't already exist. Okay. We have to, they have to create a male character and then turn him into a dark friend. Slight counterpoint here. Most of the characters we've met so far have been women. Yes, but still. Most of the characters, I think, are women. It's just going to perpetuate the evil woman thing. You yeah, know? no, no, you know, I, I agree. People are dumb. I, I definitely agree. And the bros are going to latch onto it. That all women are dark friends. <laughs> We already did the Tavirin thing. It's definitely Pat and Fane. I hadn't put that together before just now. 
I think that we, we talked a little bit about Moraine not really doing investigating in the two rivers, which is something I think that they could have they could have maybe started that and like eliminated someone. Like yeah. it, it, like Perrin, I think, is the, the prime candidate for elimination there. Because Honestly, he I think pretty it's... quickly is going to have other stuff going on. I think it would have been, like, just, it wouldn't have been hard for Maureen to interview Egwene's parents because she's staying in the inn that they own. Yes, but they clearly want Egwene to be in contention. That's fair, especially since they, she can they've channel. they changed the lore to make it so that she can be in contention. Yeah. The other change that they make to Which characters. I like. Yeah, I don't mind it. The other change that they can make to character, or that they've made to characters, rather, is that Matt's parents are shitty people. Here's my thing, coming from a person who's only read two books. I know nothing about Matt's parents at all. I don't even yeah. know their names. That's not a change for me. That's just adding that's just adding information about it's Matt's parents. That's that's fair. It does lead to immediately a sort of knock-on effect where Matt wants to come back to the two rivers to take care of his sisters. That I, think, I don't necessarily like. I think this is the change in characters that I like the least. It's not Matt. Matt wanted to leave. Matt, uh, besides Egwene, who wanted to leave and study with Moraine, Matt wanted to see the world the most. Not go back to the same sleepy old village that he's lived in for his entire life. With abusive parents. Right. I don't mind, and I think it has the potential to pay off that he wants to take care of his sisters. But I don't like that he's the one that wants to go. He's the one that wants to go home, and Rand's the one that wants to keep going. And that's not at all no. their, those characters. They fuzz the lines a lot between Matt and Rand. There's too much Rand in Matt and too much Matt in Rand. And I, I'm not a big fan of that. I think that because they're making Maureen the main character of the season, that was going to be inevitable. Maybe. But also, like, I don't like that Matt wants to go home. However, the side effect of him him have coming from a family like that does have an effect on his character that's different from his character in the books that I do actually like. He's more compassionate. He is. There's when when Winter Night's going on, he, you know, runs and hides and finds his parents and then he's like, "Where are the girls?" Mm-hmm. And they're like, uh-uh, they were right here. And then he screams at them again. And then they're like, uh. And then, then he goes to And then he runs out. And he's just, like, staring at this destruction for a bit. And then has to think, like, where would they hide? Right. And so he goes and finds them, takes them to the woods. They hide until the end. Right. And then they're fine. And then they're fine. There's also, like, when they're reunited and, you know, his mom's all, like... Oh my god, the girls! Not even paying attention to Matt. Matt sees Perrin carrying out his dead wife and just immediately goes to Perrin. Yeah. It's, one, this emphasis of found family, which I absolutely adore. Like, I love found family. It it reinforces that a little bit more. And there's a lot of really compassionate moments between Matt and Perrin that don't happen in the books. No. And I think that this Matt is just a more compassionate Matt, and I actually like it. Which Those bits of Matt I don't, I, I, I like. And I think that it will be much more in line with you haven't seen this Matt yet in the books because we, we're still dealing with Dagger Matt. And the, the pre-Dagger Matt, he was still kind of like a... He was kind he's of a like, teenager. He was a teen, he's a teenage <laughs> fuckboy. Like, he was a fuckboy before. They did age him up, which gets right. him a little bit out of that fuckboy stage. And he still is a little bit like... He's he's the quippiest. But he's not, like, dismissive. But it, it, it feels like they, they went to quippy as the way to establish Matt as Matt, 
instead of some of the other things. Like, Matt's not just quippy. He's, like, he's got a sense of adventure. He, which he doesn't have. Right. And maybe we'll get that with the dagger, and maybe that'll maybe it'll get better over the season. But right now, Egwene's the only one with any sense of adventure, which is fine. Rand has a little bit, but only because he wants to go find Egwene. Yeah, and Egwene's like, I think Rand would go home. And Perrin's like, well, then you don't know Rand very well. He thinks you're going to Tarvala, so he's going to Tarvala. Right. So... <laughs> which is just another moment of Perrin still being the voice of reason, which I enjoy. Yeah. So that, that bit is not something I'm particularly fond of. What I am fond of is the white cloak changes. I need an answer here. It doesn't need to be a full answer, but I need an answer as to how they captured and killed an Aes Sedai. Yeah. I mean, they cut off her hands. They cut off her hands, which, like, maybe she's in too much pain to be able to channel. And I can accept that. Except I, I can't accept that just because they don't have hands, they can't channel. That's a massive shift. And it, mm-hmm. it gets away from some stuff. Because in the books, at, at some point, they're, like, kind of making fun of some women channelers who, like, do all this, like, waving their hands and stuff. Because it's like, when you learn how to channel that way, you can't channel just by commanding things. Yeah. And they're like, oh, oh, you're waving your hands. Haha, we don't have to wave our hands. You suck. And, and that's just not, like, blindfolder or something. I do think some answers there would be helpful. That is something, because that character that, the questioner, yeah. that kills her, Another I have difference. not met yet. Nope. Met yet. He, it's a, if he's a questioner, that's a fairly big difference from the books. Not is he a, not a questioner? He's not books? a questioner. He dislikes questioners. Hmm. That's a fine change, I think. They could have combined him with someone. They could have, and I think they might have. But we can't talk about it because I haven't met... Right, you haven't met either. Yeah, I haven't met anyone. They do at least make a difference between Bornhold and the Questioner. Because I don't even remember the Questioner's name. I don't think he's ever actually named. I don't think he's he's been named yet. So he's just the Questioner. Because I'm not looking up anything about the show. Because I don't want to accidentally get spoiled. So for the many books. spoilers. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to get spoiled for the books. I don't mind show spoilers, yeah. but like this one, it would be a it was a relatively safe thing to figure out because it's on X-ray. So like if we hit if we like look for more information within the episode itself, oh, we would have it seen shows the his character's name. name. And I guess I could look up stuff on IMDb just to see like actors and characters and stuff. Yeah. But other than that, I'm not looking up stuff on the show. And but they did make a nice difference between Bornhold and. The questioner dude in the scene where they encounter Moraine and everyone. Right. Because Moraine passes her ring off to Leon, and then they, like, get questioned, and Moraine doesn't tell any lies. Nope. It's a very good display of her command of the odes. Yeah, because they're like, you know, where are you coming from? And she's like, you know, we're coming from uh, whatever the river town. We're coming from Tarn Ferry. Tarn Ferry. You know, she has an injury that the questioner, as he's basically, like, molesting her. Right. Like, just feeling her up and being generally creepy. In in a creepy, but I I do have to say, not sexual way. Yeah, like, it's, like, non-sexual molestation. But, like, it's, like, I don't know what the word... It was a severe violation of her privacy. Yeah. But he wasn't trying to be sexual with her. No. And that did come across. Yeah, but he was still, like... Feeling her up. Right. And Lan, they ask Lan where he's from. He's like, I'm from the Borderlands, where men know better to keep, better than to touch or, a woman without asking. No, he's or, like, where men know how know to keep their hands off of women. Lest they lose them. <laughs> okay, we're going to take a break here and talk about how much I absolutely love Lan and Moraine. It's a lot. They're fantastic. I, there's, they're connected and they're so friends. Well. 
And they have like a tenderness and a love for each other, but they've made a very big distinction that it's not sexual. Right. Even the fact that they took a bath together. Right. They took a full on, entirely nude bath together. We get a nice shot of <laughs> land butt, which land I, butt. <laughs> yep. I appreciate. But it's absolutely not sexual. And they are so in sync. There are several times over the really just episodes one and two, because Maureen is unconscious for most of episode three. Yeah, she is. But over episodes one and two, there are several times where it's very, like, just like the non-verbal communication between them is so well handled. Yeah. Like, there's a scene when when they come out of the Wine Spring Inn, and they're talking about how it's not Nynaeve, but it could be one of the other four. Lan doesn't say a word, and you can tell that he's communicating with Moraine. No, Moraine doesn't. Or, no, that's before she goes to interview. Is it? it I think there's, there's a scene where... It's after the bath. It's after the bath. And Lan asks her, like... He doesn't say anything. He no, doesn't there's, say a word. There's a scene where Maureen also doesn't say a word. And he asks her a question. She doesn't answer. And he's like, well, then we've got work to do. That's the bath. Is that the bath? That's the like, end of the bath. No, they, the only thing they talk about in the bath is that it could be warmer. No, they talk about other stuff in the bath. <laughs> it's a great scene. Lan's like, it could be warmer. She's like, I'm surprised they have this at all. He's like, it could be warmer. And she's like, she oh. She channels and makes it warmer. <laughs> she channels and makes it warmer. Yep. And then he's just like, yes. Thank you. <laughs> yep. But no, it's it's very, very good. He, like, starts moving when she's saying that she thinks something should be done. Like, before she's even done saying it, he's doing it. Oh, yeah, because, like, when they're... When they travel over the river at Tarn Ferry, and the guy's like, we need to go back for my family. And she's like, what do you think that's going to happen? And Lan is already moving to cut the rope. Right. And, like, as she says, we can't let you go, he chops it. So he's like, yeah. he already knows where she's going with it. Right. I mean, it's it's a well-blocked-out scene, but it's also a very well-acted scene because it's believable. It's very, very believable that Lan, had, Lan just is doing that. It's not like the actor was told because his blocking was supposed to go there. Like he's just doing it because that's what needed to happen. No, and you can definitely tell that the two actors have spent a lot of time together. Yeah. Even just like when we were watching the New York Comic Con panel, every time that she was speaking, Daniel Henney was just like gazing adoringly at his Zoom <laughs> screen. Like, yeah. like I love everything that's coming out of your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, like I adore you. And she clearly adores him, too, because every time she talks about Maureen and Lan's connection, she's yeah. like, she gets the same, like, they clearly adore each other, and it comes through in their acting, and right. I really appreciate it. I'm going to be very interested to see how other Aes Sedai I Warder pairs are done. Baron and Tomas. Justice for Tomas. Justice for Tomas. Also, that's... justice for Bella. Where is Bella? <sighs> That is, we, I need to finish my point about Maureen going through the questioners thing. And she's just like telling, you know, going back to that where she's with the questioners, you know, she's going through and she like has this wound and the questioner like is, you know, manhandling her. Right. And Maureen was just like, may I see the wound? Right. And so there's like this difference between the two that is he, drawn. He asks and he's more gentle with it. And then he goes and tells them to go to an Aes Sedai. Because only an Aes Sedai can heal that wound because right. it's trollic poison. And the questioner's just like jingling his key, like his yeah. Aes Sedai rings, which is... Uh... Yeah, Valda's, Valda's sinister. He, he just, the actor does a really good job of it too. Yeah. Very believable. Although again, how did they do it? I need to know. I need to know. I hope we get an answer. 
it's going to bother me. Maureen is also clearly more afraid of the questioners in this as well, because when they get back... Well, there's a lot of them. Well, when they get to the part right before Shatter Logoff, when she's, like, clearly unwell, and mm-hmm. he's, like, giving her back her ring, she's like, did you see how many rings he had? Right. And then, you know, Maureen can't wake up, and then they go to Shatter Logoth, and she's just like, "Right, where are we? You've <laughs> killed us all. Yeah. In between that is... That's where the Where's Bella comes in. That's, that is where the where, where the last time we see Bella is in Shadow Logoth. When one horse gets disintegrated, which I don't know if that was Bella or not, that was Bella. I hope, what I'm hoping is it's, is Bella is the horse that Nynaeve is riding. Only two horses got out. No, Nynaeve is riding a horse and Lane is on Mandarb and is guiding Aldeev along. But Egwene was riding Bella. Yeah. Bella and the rest of the horses escape and then... You know, Mandarb Mandarb and Aldeeb Aldeeb are just, like, chilling. They're like, they see a bunch of black ooze, and they're like, eh, we're not phased. Until our owners tell us to move. And then they go, but, like, where is Bella? Like I said, I'm hoping it's the horse that Nynaeve is on. Like, maybe Nynaeve, like, comes across Bella as she's creeping up on Lan. Or, like, Nynaeve, or, like, Bella, like, caught up with Aldeeb and Mandarb and Lan and Moraine. Like, I'm hoping that that's what happened. I am too. Because where, where is, is Bella? Bella? So in between, I think it's in between the White Cloaks and Shadow Logoth. We have, maybe it's before. No, it's after, because I think. I think it's after the, the Oath The Questioner. Talk. We have Moraine's story time. Yes, that is after the Questioners, I believe. Which I like, in the books, I like Listen Up You Backwards Fuckers. It would not work for the show. No. And I think that what we got is just as good. This is another great Matt moment because they're like all traveling around. They just got done with questioners. Moraine is looking rough. Yeah. And he's looking around at everyone and just starts singing. Yeah. And like a weird, like old song about Manetherin. The song is Weep for Manetherin. And Egwene immediately joins in. And then yeah. Perrin comes in with those like baritone low notes. Yeah. Which is fantastic. It's really good. And then Rand joins in. At and the very end. At the, at the end. And Moraine gives the Emmonsfielders the story of Manetherin. She's like, it's good to remember Manetherin. And Matt's like, it's just Manetherin? a song. I don't know who Manetherin is. Yeah. See, okay. So before I get to what, I, what I'm what i also going to say, that Matt is what I want to see more of. I want to see more of the general relief Matt. Not just quippy Matt, but Matt is the relief character. Yeah. He relieves other characters and makes them feel more at ease. He does that with Perrin in Shatter Logoth. He does. And, but other than that, he's kind of just quippy. Yeah, because like, Lan gives his story time. And he's like, okay, two things. One, that's more words than you've said today. Or I think at all. Right. And two, why did you bring us here? Right. <laughs> So I need I need more of like relief that mat and not line. not just quippy mat. I want the same amount of quippy mat. I just also want more relief mat. But one thing I noticed in them singing the song is Rand's the last one to join in about this song about Manetherin, which is where which is the, the so two rivers. It's, it's remembering the old blood, right? That runs through the two rivers. Right. And Moraine says that the old blood runs deep in them. The old blood doesn't run deep in Rand Althor. No, it doesn't. It, it, he's not from the two rivers. He's not from there. Presumably he's Aiel because he looks like an Aiel. And actually there, there is a line in some book or another about the ancient blood raised by the old. Just the, like the scene says a lot about the characters because you have Matt chiming in, Matt starting it to like relieve everybody. 
Yeah. Egwene jumps in because she's just, she's there. She's in for it. Perrin joins in as like a supporting role. And he's, yeah, he comes in with just like the supporting he's, line. He's under everything and steady. And Rand comes in at the very end because he wants to be there the least. And he, it's, the song is not about him. No. I really, I when you explained that to me the other day, I was just like, oh, I hadn't picked up on that. And that's a very good, like... It's fantastic. Fantastic there are, directing. There are other bits about story time that are great, but we cannot talk about them. Because I haven't gotten there Because they're foreshadowing. Okay. <laughs> but we do get Maureen's story time, which I really enjoy. We do. It's, it's very good. And she's, like, not feeling well while she's telling it. It's just... It's really good. It, it's it's really a high... It's a very high point in episode two, which is... I, I want to say in the middle, I've seen some reviews of episode three that put episode three below episode two, but I honestly think it was high. I think it was better. I don't know. Episode two two and three kind of run together for me. Episode one is a very clear, like, it almost felt like a movie. Because, like, it was bookended by a Maureen quote. It was ended by a Maureen quote. Yeah. It felt like its own thing. And episode one didn't run into episode two as well. No. Whereas episode two and three kind of just story-wise, like, run yeah. together more. Well, that's why I say, that's why I think that episode one really smells of heavy, heavy studio involvement. Yeah. But I think that it's, honestly, I think that it's going to end up working. It's fine for a pilot. It's fine for a pilot. And I think it's going to get more people to watch the show. Because the show isn't, show isn't for the book readers, really. No, not entirely. I mean, it is partially because it's a very large built-in audience. Yes, it's but... It's a very dedicated audience. It is for also the people who don't read the books. It's... Right. Like, they're trying to... They have a lot of target audiences to fill with it. It's not just book yeah. listeners it or book readers and it's not just people who might watch the show then read the books it also has to be for people who will watch the show and never pick up the books yeah it did feel a little bit like they were trying to hit too many targets like they have this they, they very much center women in power in episode one which is good because that's the way the world is in the eye of the world but then they also have too many other plot points that are trying to draw people in that it like None of them kind of land as well as they could have. Mm, I guess I can see that. Like if they had just, I think they should have started with the women's circle thing and with Nanyu being the, the braided queen of two rivers. Going to the women's circle thing, just to talk about Egwene a bit. You know, she gets yeeted off a cliff. She basically channels or at least becomes one with the river and right. survives she whatever surrenders. the... She surrenders. She surrenders. Hmm. I wonder if that's foreshadowing for how you touch cider. And, you know, then she goes into the inn and everyone cheers and she's like drinking with everyone because, y'all, you're part of the women's circle now. And her, one, her dad's worried when she comes in because he's like assumed that she might die doing this. Yeah. Like, why do they, why do they do this thing that might kill a bunch of women? Was it a special thing for somebody who might be a wisdom? I got but, that But like her dad immediately hugs her and he's like, I was so worried. Yeah. Uh, slight tangent, we cannot trust her dad. He is an innkeeper who is skinny. <laughs> Can't trust him. All right, we can trust him. He's the calm, level-headed voice. You know, and then Maureen comes to town, and that's, like, a little bit of a weird scene. And, like, there's gambling, and Matt... Again, she just kind of, like, fades into view. It, it starts with her very fuzzy in the background, and she's, like, walking forward, and she fades in. And I'm like, okay, she's been introduced already. We get a couple things about that scene that I love, and I just want to touch on real quick, that, like, Nynaeve is the first person to say anything to Lan, and she's, like, got her hand on her dagger, which is just, like, teaser teaser for how Lan falls in love with her. Anyway. Oh, you actually tried to kill me. <laughs> Fantastic. Later after everyone goes to bed, 
Lan or Rand and Egwene are told to finish up the dishes. <laughs> I know where you're going with this. I have two things. One, as they're doing dishes, you know, Gwen rolls up her sleeves. And she's got a scar on her arm, and Rand looks at it and is very sad about it. And they linger on it. What is that scar? (laughs) Why would you do that and then not touch it for two episodes? What is the scar? And, like, it shows up. Like, it's like like they remember to put it on her for all of the other scenes, at least. Like, go costuming and makeup department. Like, you remember to put it there. Because I was on the rewatch. I was looking for it in every (laughs) scene that she had her arms exposed. And then, two, just that scene in general. Why does Rand have game? Not allowed. It's not allowed. So, like, in the scene with Tam, Tam talks about how, like, he used to pick, when he was a child, he used to pick berries and bring them for Egwene. And he remembers this, and he has, like, he's, you know, talking to her and trying to get him to tell, get her to tell him at least how, like, she's like, I can't talk about it. She's like, you can at least say if it went good or bad. Like, it's me. Like, you can just... Give a generic answer. I just want to know how you're feeling. Pulls a berry out of his pocket. And why does Rand have game? This isn't allowed. Rand can't be good with women. He's just like, you know, he like, she's worried about something. He just like kisses her, which is also just like. And then they fuck in the common room at the wine spring inn. And he's like, he tells her this thing about having to pick the berries. And then he pulls a tiny little berry out of his pocket. And tries to feed it to her. And then she's like, has this been in your pocket all day? Rand is not allowed to have game. It's it's not allowed. <laughs> it's solid game, though. Like, it's yeah. a good move. Damn. What That's not allowed. Not at all. I am kind of for it, though. Yeah. Like, I'm also, like, it's not allowed, but also, not like... Allowed. No, no. He starts to get game when he meets Celine in Great Hunt. He does. So maybe just older, because they aged him up two years, he has game now. Maybe. Maybe, it's, maybe he's just a late bloomer. Just a, just a matter of time. Huh. <sighs> I think the only thing we have left to touch on is Tom's introduction. We talked a little bit about Tom. We talked about his song. He's introduced late. In the books, he's there in the Two Rivers. Here, he's introduced in Breen Spring. I actually, I've been going back and forth, and I think I've landed on, I like this introduction of Tom better than the books. Because if you listened to season one of our podcast when I read through Eye of the World, I didn't trust Tom until he threw himself at a murder all to protect Rand. This Tom is more immediately trustable. Yes. Because they introduce him late, he's kind of like a jerk at the beginning, but like he's a gleeman. He steals Matt's money. But then the second time we encounter him is when Matt's going to steal something from this Aiel that the town murdered. Yeah, and he's and there he's to bury there him. And he's there to bury him. And he, so that's like a, okay, like he gives him, there's something about you. And like he talks about the Aiel in a way, like he explains the Aiel and the veil, which was helpful. He's clearly worldly. He's clearly worldly. And he gives that Aiel, like, very specific burial rites. Yeah, like, it's it seems Aiel-specific because it's like, may you find water, and he's, they're right. from a desert. Water so like, and shade, warrior of the threefold land. Yeah, so he clearly knows stuff, and he's also burying this guy. And then once we find out that Dana has a dark friend and she steals Rand's sword and chases him through the village, and she's talking about dark friend stuff, he just, like, knifes her in the throat from, like, 30 feet. A good distance. And then he's like, you're coming with me. Right. That was a dark friend. Yeah. We're going. And that just makes more sense to me as, like, no, especially knowing Tom's backstory. But, like, if I had been introduced to him in that way, he's clearly there to protect Rain and Matt at this point. At the beginning, I wasn't sure why he was bothering to go. Because clearly they're no. going off with an Aes Sedai and a warder. Right. So they've got protection. Right. Why was he going, too? Yeah. 
Right now, he's just trying to protect two kids from a, from a dark friend. Yeah. No, I, I liked it. The only thing I didn't like is I didn't like Tom stealing from Matt. That's not... Especially, like, the person who would steal from Matt isn't necessarily the same person who would bury somebody killed wrongly. I think he was trying to teach Matt a lesson. But why? How? What lesson? He, like, reversed... He, like, pickpocketed a pickpocket for, Matt, for Matt's coins and then kept them. And then Matt... But Matt wasn't going to give... A donation for the Gleeman, and then, you know... I, like, it did seem a little bit weird. I think it did provide a moment, because then Matt pickpockets him after helping bury yeah. the Aiel, and then they introduce each other. I, I think so, it's like, I think it's another one of those, like, shorthand things to be like, okay, Tom's good at sleight of hand, which can extend to his knife-throwing skills. Yes. I think it is a little bit of a shorthand, and I honestly think Matt needs to get taken down a peg anyway, so... It's Dagger Matt. Dagger Matt. Yeah, I, I, I saw some things where it's like, why is Matt such a dick in episode three? It was like, he has the death. Do those people not read the book? I don't know if it was book readers or not book readers. But, like, he's very clearly, and Matt Rand actually asks, like, what is wrong with you? Right. I like that. Because it's, like, all of a sudden. Yeah. I, I do need, I need, so there are five things I need coming out of episode three. I need I need what they're doing with Matt and the dagger to continue. I think they've done, they did a good job in episode three. There are some some plot lines that are at risk because of how they did it. Not encountering Mordeth. Not he encountering does just Mordeth. kind of walk out. He hears the whistling, and then he hears the whispers. And I think, I think the whispers are drawing him. I think that was to be like Mordeth. Yeah, like the whispers. So I, I think they could. I think that there's plenty of room to do it. Once Moraine finds out about the dagger, I think that she'll be like, "Did you hear whispers?" And then might, she might explain that that was Mordeth. Maybe. Or, I feel like there's going to be yeah. some explanation. Yeah, there, there's room. I, I just want them to continue, and then I want them to. To take that room with what it needs to be done. I want more hints at Rand channeling. Because there are eight episodes. We are three episodes in. I think Rand breaking down the door was a hint. I think that might be supposed to be the lightning. But it's not obvious enough for it to be the lightning. That's fair. It could be a combination of because I, I, I just still need... see the Bella thing when we were in the first book. Like I the the first time that I noticed that Rand could channel was uh-huh. the lightning. Yeah, and that's what you're supposed to. That's when you're supposed to realize. So it. I think that the door is. If they do another one after that, I think that the door is a good first indication that there's something Same. up with him. Same, but I think. They need to do that. They can't just drop it on us that Rand's the dragon. Yeah. Which, we're in episode three. That feels like a little bit of a risk here, is that they're just going to drop it on us. That's true. I need an explanation of Perrin's wife. I, I need more from that. I need an explanation as to how the White Cloaks captured and killed an Aes Sedai. And then, this one is just because I love the book so much, and I this is the the most negotiable of them. I need some stuff directly from the books. Weep for Manetherin was great. You want a one-to-one. I want a one-to-one. Scene doesn't doesn't need to be big. It doesn't need to be life-changing. I just want to see what I read directly come to life. Just just a little bit. I can see that. I think that... Like, I'm, I'm on board with the adaptation changes. I think... By and large. I just... I, I love the books so much, and I want to see just a small bit I of that I kind happen. of don't want to. Too I mean, much. Not, not too much. And not more than one scene. No. Really. Just because then we get into the territory of... The comparison I made when we were talking about this earlier is that, like, I love the Harry Potter series. I love the books. I mostly love the movies. But the movie that pisses me off the most is book si- is movie six because it just, like, ignores book six entirely. Right. But because the first five were one-to-one, what were trying to be one-to-one adaptations... Any change that they made, I'm just like, why did you bother changing oh, it? Oh, yeah. 
But with this, because they've changed so much, I can treat the books and the show as separate. Yeah. And then also, I think as long as they don't pull a Game of Thrones, like you were saying, you know, the last two seasons of the Game of Thrones show ruined the book series for They did you. a little bit. I and don't I think th- that'll happen here. I think, but that's also because Game of Thrones was trying to be a one-to-one for so long. And then yeah. the reason that the last two is because there wasn't material for there to be a one-to-one. So when a show tries to do a one-to-one adaptation and then they make any change, it's just bound to I, destroy things. I 100% agree. And that's why all I want is I just want, I just want to see one small thing exactly as it was. Yeah. It can be tiny. I just want one small thing. And, th- you know, there might be, there are, there might be some small things, but I took away from episodes one to three that this is, this is an adaptation. Yeah. Through and through, this is a different turning of the wheel. Yeah. They have some elements where they're like nodding at things. Like there's a scene when, you know, in Winter Night, they have a character whose name I recognized from the first book. It just mm-hmm. has a random villager because we were watching with subtitles. We watch everything with subtitles. We have auditory processing problems. So, like, we I saw the name in captions, and it was just, like, a random villager, but they, like, yeah. named her a random right. character. That's... And so they've got, like, nods to the books yeah. that aren't important, which I think is fun. Yeah, but I just want one small corner of this to be basically just lifted from the pages. Small. I, I like what they're doing with the adaptation, and I think that... Overall, it is a hundred percent the way to go, and I also think, like you said, that if they if they end up fucking it up, which I don't think they will, but we're only three episodes in, it's still a possibility. Yeah. If they end up fucking it up, it's not going to taint my interpretation of the books at all because they've changed so much already. It's it's a different piece of media, and I and most of it is told love. The only thing that I said that I didn't feel like it was told of love is the Layla thing. And that's just because it just feels very much, they are causing Perrin pain just for the sake of causing him pain. And it didn't feel like it had any purpose. Right. Which, like I said, kind of feels, it's just like, it's trauma. Yeah. And it's just unnecessary. Like, you don't treat, you don't just like cause your character's trauma for the fuck of it. Like, you do it because they've got to overcome it. Right. Not just like sad, sad boy times. Like yeah, exactly. At least the actors not being all like sad boy yeah. parents. There's one thing I will say: everybody has acted the hell out of this. Even episode one with its problems, I loved all of the performances. Yes, I am a little sad that Matt's gonna be different in season yeah. two. Yeah, Barty Harris is fucking killing it. And like, I want to know what what's going on, but no, no, no one said anything, which means that it's it's probably something personal. Yeah, if it was, if it was, he was terrible to work with. Someone would say something. Right, it would have been leaked. Somebody would have said something, and so like it, it would have been like when Hotch got recat, like kicked off the show in Criminal Minds because he punched a director. Yeah, like. They were. They didn't talk about it, but it came out. Right. So well, I, I mean, like, so I, I, I want to. Yeah, I want to know what happened because I'm a very curious person, and I love the shit out of Barney Harris as Matt. I think the the new actor will do well, and I, I, you know, I just want Barney Harris to be doing well as a person. Yeah, I, I'm like, I I want to know what happened because I want him to be okay. Yeah. Because like we haven't heard anything from he wasn't Nothing. any he wasn't read nope. any red carpet things which makes sense if they recast him like why would you do that to your own show but but like maybe if he had to drop out because he had like conflicts but he could maybe make an appearance I just want to, like yeah are you okay right <laughs> I'm <Yeah>. worried <laughs> but yeah all of the performances have been amazing yeah I mean I wasn't I wasn't surprised with Rosamund Pike but yeah I actually I kind of think Rosamund Pike is maybe one of the weaker performances. 
And that's not to say she's bad. Everybody else is excellent. I think that Rosamund Pike is doing as well as she always does, so it doesn't feel... That could be it. I think it's because she's just fantastic. But, I mean, like, the actors for everybody else, <laughs> they've just been so good. Oh, so good. I have been way more impressed also with the actor for Rand than I thought I was going to be. I was a little worried when I was watching the New York Comic Con panel because he seemed very aloof and, like, he didn't know what... Because he was saying, like, oh, supposedly the Heron Mark Blade is, like, for Blade Masters and stuff. And so I was like, oh, he hasn't read the books. Nope, he's, he's the furthest. He's read 11 of them. Yeah. So he could just be very aloof he, and be really does, invested, does which does really feel good, like Rand, actually. It does, and he does a really good job of the, like, slow to anger but forceful full anger that Rand has. Yeah. Like, he has a scene where he's shouting at Moraine, and it's great. Oh, yeah. That's great. It's it's fantastic. So, recurring segments time. These will be a little different. Some of them are the same. Some of them will be the same. Some of them will be a little different. The one, one of the ones that will remain the same is ship update. And I think the ship update is just a massive fucking Lan-Neve uh, armada. Lan-Neve. I, we didn't talk enough about it. And so this is the great time to talk about Land of Nynaeve. When we see Nynaeve at the end of episode two, like, Land's got Moraine and he's like, try, he's, she's like just unconscious. Right. And Nynaeve just comes up behind him and like sticks a sword to his throat and is like, you take me to them or I'll slit your throat. (laughs) And the look on his face, it's great acting. It's a combination of like curiosity, like, how did I not hear you? Was I just too focused on Moraine? Who are you? And also, like, but who are you, though? Like, <laughs> yeah. it's like this great moment of just, like, it's I, great. I hope this doesn't awaken anything in me. Yeah. And then we see more interactions between them, because she's just, like, in the next episode, you know, he manages to stand, and she's still, like, got her sword pointed at him, and he, like, walks closer to it. Yeah. And like it like is like at his throat and he's like, We both know you're not gonna kill me. And then she does try to kill him. And he's just like Like, oh, you actually tried to kill me. Like like with some like almost fondness. Yeah. Like just it's like surprise, but like amusement. I just yeah. I am loving the dynamic between the two of them. It's like, quite good. It's quite good. You see the look on his face, he's trying to figure Nynaeve out yeah. in the rest of that those scenes. Yeah. And it's just fantastic. How do you feel about Randon and Egwene fucking? <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah. It feels like a, a natural thing for them. Because they're up. 20. Right. Or in, in the books, they're 17? Question mark? That age is never given. But I'm yeah. I'm putting them at 17, 18. Yeah. So I yeah. like that I like that there's like an actual relationship there because I think it does it makes their attachment to each other throughout books one and two make a little bit more sense if they actually had a physical relationship. Yeah. Even if they hadn't like actually had sex, but if they like there wasn't even an implication that they'd kissed before. Right. So they've clearly had some sort of emotional, like, and they really actually thought that they were going to end up together. Yeah. So that I liked. It has another byproduct, and unfortunately Perrin being married has the other side of it. Like, the Egwene having a relationship with Rand, and Perrin being attached to someone else, too. Kind of kills the Perrin Egwene. Yeah, which I don't think was meant to be shippy in book one, but it read so. as shippy. Yeah. And so it's... There are scenes when they're running away from the wolves after Shadar Logoth, and they're like huddling for warmth and just, just being gen. It just, just reads as friendship. It just reads as like this genuine, like 
it's close friendship, but it's a friendship. loving friendship. I mean, not the same as Landon Maureen, because that is a weird bond that I don't think any normal human to human can attain. No. But it's it's like there's an understanding and a tenderness there, but yeah. it's not sexual in any manner. Yeah. And I enjoy it. Yeah. I like that it's not shippy. Yeah. Favorite moments. What's your favorite moment? Oh. We'll do just between all of these episodes, since there are three of them, and it's kind of hard to separate them out when we've watched... I don't know. I kind of have. I kind of have several. Oh, so. okay. We'll give them. <laughs> I I do love the strawberry moment. Okay. Like, <laughs> it's just good. Wait, that's illegal. You're not allowed to like Grant having game. Um, but actually, if I had to pick a favorite moment from episode one, it's when a Trolloc just screams at Nynaeve, and she pulls out her knife and just like shrieks back at it. Yep. Peak energy. Yeah. Fantastic. I don't know that I have one for episode two, but episode three is definitely like just the land of naive. Like, yeah, mine for all three is Weep from Anethrin. That's good. It, it's not directly from the books, but it, it could have been. Yeah, and I think it was a good way to have that listen up, you backwards fuckers. Right. Like, speech that we loved so much from book one. Yeah. Now, a new recurring segment episode ratings out of 14, because there are 14 books, and yes, we're that podcast. <laughs> So you can do this all together or each one. I think I have to do it all together because I've seen all of them now. Okay. I feel like an 8.59. Out of 14? I feel like Yeah, because like people think that three stars is a bad rating. And I think three stars is a good rating. That's okay. in the middle. Okay. So seven, seven out of 14 for me is still a good rating because it's like halfway like. That's a failing grade though. Think about it like three, letter grades. Three-fifths is also a failing grade. It's a 60. That's not technically failing. Was it my school? <laughs> <laughs> but it's not technically failing. Well, that's why I'd say, like... Like, if you were to rate it out of 100%, that's still 60%. That's not very good. 80, or, no, that's, that's true. 14 is hard. 14 is hard. So we're like going to do it nine, anyway, though. Like a 9, like a 9. Okay, that's actually lower than I would have given them all together. I think 9... Maybe eight is about what I'd give episode one. I'll put episode two at like a 11, episode three at like 11.5. It's not much better than episode two, but I liked it a little bit better. Yeah, I just like... None of them were like top tier episodes of TV. I think my ratings might change once I have the entire series in perspective. Like if we went and watched it a third well. time after I went and watched it. But like it is, we fought about having this segment because like I don't, it feels like rating chapters to me. And right. it just is weird. Like, so my ratings are going to be all over the place because yeah. it's not something that I my brain gets around. But Episodes of a TV show have to stand on their own as episodes. Chapters of a book do not. Which is why we landed on having this segment. Yes. And we'll probably do a rating for the whole season as well. And I think that my rating for that will be much more solidified and be Maybe able we to... do the rating for the whole season out of eight, which is how many seasons there could be. No, we're just sticking to 14. <laughs> okay. Don't make things more complicated for my math. I love making 14 is already complicated for my math. I love the Wheel of Time. I like complicated things. I'm aware. <laughs> All right, this was episodes one to three next time, which I suppose when we release this will be tomorrow, but really next week is when the next podcast episode will come out. Episode four, which is titled The Dragon Reborn. I don't think it's going to be about The Dragon Reborn. I think no, it's going to be about Logan. Yes. Next week we will be back discussing episode yes. four, The Dragon Reborn, because you made that a little bit confusing. <laughs> I like confusing things. <laughs> bye. All right, bye. Bye. <laughs>